this evening, I first would like to, from Acts, read of the historical account of Jesus' ascension, and then we're going to go to the book of Ephesians for its significance. Boys and girls, the same author of the Gospel of Luke is now also this God, this, the author of this book. And he says, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. What do you think that means? What Jesus began to do and to teach. Well, it means that in the book of Acts, he's going to describe what Jesus is continuing to do from heaven. So what all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. So far the reading of the book of Acts, the historical account and now if you would turn with me to Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, chapter 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called with all lowliness and meekness, 
with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive but speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. I'm going to stop reading there, and it's verses 8 through 10. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. That's a quote from Psalm 68. Now in parentheses, now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his infallible word. Today, today the church celebrates the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, the climax of Jesus' life here on earth and of church holidays. There is Christmas when we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. There is Good Friday when we remember and rejoice in his sacrifice on the cross. There is Easter when up from the grave he arose and now the ascension the exaltation and glory of our Savior as he receives the glory that he had with the Father beforehand. Now as far as the fact of Jesus' ascension, that's a rather brief account, isn't it? 
Acts 1 verse 9, and when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Rather brief historical fact, for it's a miracle. But as to the significance of the ascension, that's another matter. Many Many passages of Scripture deal with the meaning and the importance of Jesus' ascension. And one of those passages is Ephesians chapter 4, where the apostle speaks of Jesus' ascension from the viewpoint of Psalm 68. And he points out how that Scripture has now been fulfilled. So the significance of Jesus' ascension, notice first of all, the context. How is Psalm 68 used? Second of all, the fulfillment of Psalm 68. And then three ways that the text points out the significance. So in this context, the Apostle Paul borrows from the Old Testament Or should we better say, the Holy Spirit causes the Apostle Paul to take that passage of Psalm 68 and apply it to the Lord Jesus Christ. He has taken captivity captive and he receives gifts from men. And as he applies it now to the church, Jesus has taken captivity captive And now the apostle misquotes the psalm, whereas in Psalm 68 it says he receives gifts from men. Now the apostle Paul, as he uses that passage, he says he now gives gifts unto men, even the rebellious. Paul is dealing with something very, very important in this chapter, as he does in almost all of his epistles. He's talking about the unity of the church. God, in his sovereign grace, has formed a church. And so in Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3, he says, I beseech you, endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He says, make every effort. All the time, keep, guard the unity of the church. Now notice, Paul does not tell us that we have to create that unity. God does that. Christ, in, by God's grace, does that. But now he says, you keep that unity. You guard that unity. And the warning is there. First of all, because we're sinners. Redeemed sinners, yes, but still sinners. And number two, because the devil wants to divide, wants to break up the church. The greatest evil possible is schism in the church. And we have felt that trial by God. And even now with the whole issue of abuse, again, there is threatening by Satan to put saint against saint, pastor against pastor, to divide the church. So he says, guard that unity. 
Keep that unity. Make every effort, he says, verse 2. And how do you do that? Not by each of us becoming haughty, thinking that we know what's best, but with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering and forbearing one another in love. And that is necessary because, as I said, the church is made up of people, people like you and me, who are saints, but while being saints, we are still redeemed sinners. We need to be told to be meek, to suffer long with one another, to forbear one another in love. There is this oneness I don't know if you caught it, but seven times the apostle stresses this oneness in verses 4 and 5. Seven times, which is also the number of the covenant. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Unity. Christ is the head, the church is his body. But unity does not mean uniformity. There is diversity, a rich, important diversity, a necessary diversity in the church. That diversity is threatening to some folks because they want everyone to be just like them, to think like them, to do things like them, and when they don't, they're threatened by it. Why is there this diversity? Verse 7. But unto every one of us given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. You see, God gives abilities and talents and callings that are different, all of them necessary to serve the whole. Boys and girls, think a moment of the body. If we were all noses, You wouldn't be able to see anything. You wouldn't be able to hear anything. You wouldn't be able to handle anything. You couldn't walk anywhere. You need diversity in the body. It's good for the head. So also in the church. These different gifts given in different measures to different folks causes them now to use those differences for the good of the whole. That's the reason. Paul says now, watch out. Different callings, different temperaments, different abilities, all of them are important. Each saint made different with different gifts. They're not supposed to be the same. That's what the ascension of Jesus is all about. Jesus Christ arose from the dead and he was given a body fit for heaven. Yes, he was still on earth for 40 days to be seen occasionally by many different witnesses, but they're only appearances, aren't they? It's a real body, but not an earthly body, but a heavenly body. The ascension of Jesus Christ is a transfer from his physical body life here on earth to the realm of the heavenly. 
That's where he is. And as I said earlier, the disciples were troubled when he said he had to leave them. And John 14 through 16, when I ascend, it is for your benefit, Jesus says. And there's three things that are listed here in our passage. He led captivity captive. He gave gifts unto men that he might fill all things. So the Apostle Paul is now taking Psalm 68 and applying it to Jesus Christ. Psalm 68 was a psalm written for and sung by David. Sung by David as they were removing the ark from the house of Obedidim back up to Jerusalem. You will remember, boys and girls, that Eli's two wicked sons, Hophni and Phinehas, when the battle was going bad with the Philistines, they thought they could force God to give them the victory. They took the ark out of the tabernacle right into the battlefield. And the ark was captured, held by the Philistines. But boys and girls, you remember what happened, don't you? The god Dagon, the idol, fell down flat in front of him, breaking to pieces. And then they had boils and other problems. There was terrible sickness. And so the Philistines were very afraid. And they take two milk cows away from their calves, put them on a cart, put the Ark of the Covenant on that cart with gifts, and they send it back to Israel. And David once earlier had tried to take that ark back up to Jerusalem now where one day the temple would be built. But again, you boys and girls, you'll remember how he did it wrong. That ark of the covenant was to be carried by poles through rings on it by the Levites. But instead, David forgot all about that in his haste. He has it on a cart. And when the oxen stumble. It looks like the Ark of the Covenant is going to tumble off the cart. And the man sticks out his hand to steady it. And he dies. And then David says, I'm done with this. No more. No more. So again, it's in the house of a Levite. And the Lord blessed that house. But now, finally, David again is going to attempt to bring it back to Jerusalem but not using a cart, now being obedient. And Psalm 68 is very clear that then, this ark going up to Jerusalem, it is the Lord Jehovah God who is ascending up to his holy hill. For it is Jehovah God who is represented by that ark of the covenant with its mercy seat. God ascending up to his holy hill. Jehovah had descended, condescended to dwell with his people, didn't he? Jehovah had conquered and brought his people out of captivity. He delivered them from Egypt. He brought them through the wilderness after wandering for 40 years. And then he gave them victories in the land which he gave them, the land of Canaan. And from the heathen, God would receive gifts from men. Do you remember that? 
How when the Israelites were going to go out of Egypt, there the Egyptians would bring their gold and their silver and precious things to the Israelites. And whenever there was a battle, there was the spoils of war that were given, taken by the Israelites. There were the vineyards, there were the orchards, there were the fields in Israel that were given as gifts. And even now as the Ark of the Covenant is going up to Jerusalem, in the Ark of the Covenant are these golden mice and imbrils that are placed there too as gifts. Jehovah had descended to help his people and now he ascends up to his holy hill receiving gifts. And now when the Apostle Paul is taking Psalm 68, the Holy Spirit is saying to Paul, look, it is God, that is Jesus Christ, as he ascends up into heaven, that is Jehovah God. That is so important in all the writings that are done. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who is God. Not just a man, but he is God himself. The one who David was really pointing forward to even as he takes that Ark of the Covenant up to Jerusalem. You'll remember in the Old Testament, many times there's references to the angel of the covenant. The angel of the covenant would come down to help God's people. Well, those are all references really to Jesus Christ before his incarnation. And now incarnate in our flesh, we see him going up to heaven. And now the apostle Paul, in our Bible we have it in parentheses because he's kind of backing off. of. He wants to say a little bit more about this Psalm 68 and how it applies. So the Apostle Paul says, as God had descended to help his people and live in the midst of his people, and now the Ark of the Covenant was going up to his holy hill, so the Lord Jesus Christ also descended to be in the midst of God's people. Jesus Christ descended into the lower parts of the earth. He came down from heaven to help his people. Into the lowest parts of the earth, Jesus went. Psalm 139, verse 15, speaks of how God creates and gives each one of us life in the lowest parts of the earth, namely in our mother's womb. There we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And if we are fearfully and wonderfully made in our mother's womb, how much more the Lord Jesus Christ he came down from heaven, born of a virgin. He took on our flesh and our blood from Mary. And he suffered the wrath of God for us. As we say in the Apostles' Creed, he descended into hell. Why did he descend? Because in eternity... When God elected Jesus Christ to be the firstborn of many, God gave Christ an inheritance. God gave Jesus Christ a people. 
a people who would need to be saved because we fell into sin and death. Because we, by nature, are those that the text talks about. He gave gifts to men, even the rebellious. That describes you and me by nature, doesn't it? In the fall of Adam and Eve, we became rebels. God said, thou shalt not eat thereof. And we said, we will eat thereof. Rebellious, disobedient, worthy of death. And that death has a hold on every person. The devil and sin and death became kings and masters over us who are rebels. And now the power of our Lord Jesus Christ as he descends down there into this realm of death in which he finds us. And he destroys the right of sin and the devil to hold us captive any longer. Jesus delivers his inheritance. And in order to do that, Jesus had to descend into the depths of sin. God himself had to descend and come into the darkness of the womb of his mother to take our place. Our original sin in Adam, our actual sins that we do every day, Christ descended from the glory of heaven. And as we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For he hath made him, God made Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So what did Jesus do when he came down, when he died on the cross, when he went the way of obedience? He destroyed the stronghold of the devil. He destroyed the grip that that captor had upon us. Sin and guilt and death. What a drama. No wonder Jesus said to his disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. People today think that a life of sin is freedom. I can do whatever I want. But beloved, that is the greatest slavery possible. Think, think a moment of the masses of people who are slaves, slaves to alcohol, slaves to drugs, slaves to sex, slaves to materialism, slaves toward a thousand different things. Slaves. They speak about liberty, but they are but slaves. Anyone who knows how hard it is to break a sinful habit which has been long continued, long practiced, knows that it's really a slavery and a power and a bondage of sin. We were under a curse. Jesus descended to achieve a victory. He suffered the anguishes of hell. He went into the prison where we were bound 
And he broke open the gates. He broke down the chains that were holding us. He sets us free. He who descended to be with us, to deliver us, he ascended. Where? Far above all heavens. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us how Paul was taken up into the third heaven when he received that wonderful vision above the atmosphere that surrounds the earth, the third heaven where God reigns in his glory, where the saints also reign with Christ Jesus, that, that beloved, is Jesus' position now. He was glorious in eternity He was glorious through the whole Old Testament. That glory was hid for a little while when he was on earth. He looked like a simple man like you and I. He was put to death. But God rewards his obedience. He raises him from the dead and Jesus now ascends up into heaven with a glory that he did not have before. He is God's redeemer of us. He is the victor of a great battle. So he has supreme glory, far above all the heavens, ruling over the sinful world in his power and ruling over his church by his grace. He has a name above every name, Lord of lords, King of kings victory and ascending up into heaven Jesus Christ received gifts he earned them in order that he might bestow them and what gifts are those that he received that brings me to my third point our text Ephesians 4 verses 8 through 10 mentions three fruits that result Three fruits. Number one, he has led captivity captive. When a king had a great victory, whether it was Saul, when enabled by the Holy Spirit to do battles, or especially later on, David, and you'll remember how the women says, Yes, Saul killed his hundreds, and David has killed his thousands. When a king had a great victory, the soldiers would come home and there'd be a great parade. The king or the general would lead, having captives following him with ropes or chains tied around them, dragged behind the procession. Jesus Christ, in his ascension, takes that which has held us captive spiritually, Sin, Satan, the wicked world, and he has put them back. They can only do so much. We read in the Canons of Dort, the fifth head, Article 1, Jesus Christ, quote, he delivers us also from the dominion and the slavery of sin in this life. Oh, beloved, what is the significance of Jesus' ascension? 
He has done his work leading captivity captive. Satan's control, habitual sins that have a hold of us. Impossible for us by ourselves to get free from them. Isn't that what they say about abusers? They of themselves cannot change. That's probably right. Of themselves they cannot change, but... Christ Jesus, by his Spirit, can lift that captivity off them and can change them. We need help. And that help is not our willpower. If only I will to stop doing this, then I'll do it. No. But it is the deliverance that Christ gives us. Those things that held us captive, chained us in, those chains are broken. So as strong as those enemies are, and yes, the devil is a strong one, and our sinful nature is a strong one, we have the victory. Isn't with that what the Apostle Paul is able to write to the church? Nothing shall be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Because we are more than conquerors. In Christ Jesus. Let's look at some of these captivities. Death. Death here in the world brings fear. But for us as Christians, we can sing, as the Apostle Paul writes, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? You and I grieve for loved ones that are taken from us because that earthly relationship is over. But we are filled with hope, aren't we, when a loved one is a believer. Death doesn't hold them. Now death becomes the gateway for our loved one to be at home with the Lord Jesus, which Paul writes is far better. So we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear hell. And we don't have to fear the judgment day. Because our sins have been taken away from us and will not be held against us again, ever. Oh yes, politics here in this world, you wonder what the world's coming to with some of the kind of leaders that we have. We might ask, who is in control? What will happen? Are we afraid for the future? Do we shake our heads? And the answer is no. No, we would be afraid except we know who is in control, don't we? That Jesus reigns there in heaven and his enemies are made our footstools. He has made the Lord over the universe. So those kind of things that would hold us down or destroy us or make us captive, those things are now under Jesus' feet. And our slavery to sin, that bondage is broken. Now the very focus of our life must be we want to do good to please and to glorify our Father in heaven. We are assured that neither death nor sin or anything else on the earth, any powers or dominions, can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. 
Do you see, beloved, because Jesus in his ascension is seated at God's right hand and in control of all things, Jesus uses all those forces. Psalm 2, verse 1, Why do the heathen rage and why do the people imagine a vain thing? Because they're fools, that's why. That which is against us is under Christ's control, Christ's rule. And he's going to rule everything for his glory, and he's going to rule everything for our good and our salvation. Yes, all things work together for good to them who are the called who love him. Captivity, captive. We're set free to serve the Lord, equipped by the Holy Spirit. Second of all, what is the benefit of Christ's ascension from Psalm 68 and now quoted here? In Psalm 68, thou hast received gifts for men, even the rebellious. But now he quotes it. He gives gifts to men. What gives Paul the liberty to take that Old Testament passage and to change that verb? Because Jesus Christ has received the gifts and he now imparts them. What is that main gift that, the whole, that he received? What did Jesus tell his disciples? Why must he ascend up into heaven? Why must he leave them? so that another comforter might come to them, the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus ascended up into heaven, he received the Spirit as his Spirit. He's called the Spirit of Christ. In the Old Testament, yes, the Spirit was working, but never could he point to Christ Jesus yet who hadn't come. But now the one work of the Holy Spirit is to point God's saints to Christ Jesus. So Christ receiving that spirit, we're going to celebrate 10 days from now on Pentecost. He poured out that spirit on his church. Christ received a gift so that Christ could give that gift unto men, even the rebellious ones. We are, by the Holy Spirit, given many different gifts. Not earthly things like gold or silver, but spiritual things. What things does the Holy Spirit give you? Forgiveness of sins, doesn't he? When you confess your sins and are sorry for them, the Spirit comes and he assures you that you are justified. You are innocent. Your sins are gone. Never to be held against you. And by the Holy Spirit, you and I are given righteousness. The very righteousness of Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus from heaven is pouring out these gifts on us by his Spirit. What is another gift? Our adoption as children, sons and daughters. 
That is who you and I are by God's grace. And the Holy Spirit testifies of this, that we are sons of God. We cry out, Abba, Father. Fourthly, he gives us peace with God. Well, many of the Old Testament saints were very afraid when they saw an angel or when God came down to speak with them. You and I don't have to be afraid of God because our sins have been moved out of the way and God sees us in his love as his sons and daughters. He loves us. There's peace with God. Fifthly, there is the right to eternal life. We have that life now already and when we die, we're going to enjoy it even better. And when Jesus comes back again, again there's going to be advance in the life that we have, body and soul, in the presence of Christ, reigning with him forever and ever. What other gifts does he give? He lists them in this chapter. He gives them pastors and teachers. He gives them apostles and evangelists. And as we look at that list of gifts given to the church, we notice that there are those things that were just there in the early part of the New Testament, namely apostles and prophets and evangelists. They were there. We think of the evangelist Philip, who was a deacon. We think of the 11 apostles, and then they brought one more in, and then the apostle Paul also. There were 13 apostles. There's no more apostles. There's no more evangelists. There's no more prophets. But another gift that he gives is pastors and teachers. He gives the church the preaching of the gospel. And that's why we are so privileged on Sunday. And that's why we're so privileged on this Ascension Day. We may come into God's house and he gives us the preaching of the gospel. He tells us what the Ascension of Jesus Christ is all about and its benefit for us. And he gives us these pastors and these teachers so that there is this preaching of the word so that the saints are equipped to do the work of serving, the work of ministry, the work of serving one another and serving thus Christ Jesus. Christ, by his Spirit, is equipping you and me to serve Christ and to serve one another, so that the body, the church, is equipped, is edified, is built up, and is blessed. Christ enthroned in heaven, giving gifts to equip us. Each one of us with our own unique gifts and place in the church. No one's more important than anyone else, but every member of the body, just as your physical bodies, Every part of it is important. You need your nose, you need your ears, you need your legs. All of them are important. And so every member of his church is equipped by Christ for their particular place in the body of Christ. 
We're not proud when we say that, but rather meekly and lowly we acknowledge it's all of Christ Jesus who received the Holy Spirit and now pours out all the benefits that he earned for us on Calvary's cross. And Christ ascended, thirdly, the ultimate purpose, the fruit of ascension, is found in verse 10. That he might fill all things. That he might fill us with the fullness of God. We are sure that what Christ did on the cross, his atonement was fully accepted by God. We've been set free to serve Christ Jesus. And now in our own place in the church, he fills us with the fullness of God. That means that Christ Jesus is right now at the right hand of God, controlling all things. Our captors have been made captive. Jesus is in control over us, and he gives meaning, he gives purpose to every event, the whole history of the world. And we know that he is in control of every event from the book of Revelation, don't we? There is one who is found worthy to open up the book with the seals thereof. That is God's eternal decree or purpose of all things. Jesus is the one who carries out that purpose of God. Ruling over the nations, ruling over the history of the world, ruling over his church. So that when there are earthquakes, when there are tornadoes, when there are famines, when there are floods, when there are wars, when there are troubles, when there are afflictions, then we need to say with little Samuel, speak, Lord, thy servant hears. And what do we hear? We hear that the Lord Jesus is coming quickly. We hear his footsteps in those things as he brings these afflictions upon a sinful world, even while he holds us up in his hands. Glory, glory to God for our salvation. Jesus is the victor up there in heaven, giving gifts, filling us with the fullness of God, and one day coming again and taking us to be with him. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank thee for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee that he descended down into our mess, our sin, in order to deliver us from those captors, in order to give us gifts as his sons and daughters. And we thank thee that Jesus is coming again to take us to be with him. May Christ Jesus then be very manifest to us by the Spirit. Every time the word of God is opened up, every time there is a different thing taking place in the world, may we see Christ. Christ who is for us. Christ who is the victor and makes us also then conquerors in him. 
Amen.